uh, that's cool. So, you know, she she came down with cancer 18 months ago. If you uh, if we were to be honest, um, and even conversations that I had with Tom, we did not expect her to be here. So, it's pretty cool. All right, sorry. <clears throat> um, all right, a couple of things just to be aware of. Um, that was number one. Number two is uh, we have an India team that's coming up. Uh, we are um, leading a team of 13 people, a lot of uh, people from Vintage, some people from Riverstone, some people from Passion City Church, where Louis Giglio is a pastor, if you know that church at all, and Buckhead. And we're going to be leading a, a trip to, or I'm leading a trip with, to, with Corey Hallett. He's, the, he's a family pastor, I think it's his title at Riverstone, he used to do youth. And, and so we're leading a team of 13, and it's one of those things that um, we've got a group of us going from here, and we're really excited about it. Uh, we are doing a, a, primarily going as a youth camp. Usually we do what we call discovery trips, and they're open and available to everyone. This is really a ministry trip. We've been invited with people who, like uh, Timothy and Harvest, are going just because we're doing a youth trip, okay? And so they've invited us to come and do this youth camp. And if you've ever been to the Riverstone Youth Camp or the Merit, first uh, Merida whatever is first Methodist Marietta camp back a long time ago. We're basically going and taking that camp to, to, to India at the request of Tammy. And uh, so they did it last year. It was phenomenal. The cool thing about it, and this is the, this is the really cool thing about it. All the kids invite two of their friends and most of the kids, children they invite are Hindu. Uh, some Muslims, although there are no Muslims coming this year or those who are nominal, nominal Christians. Basically, they grew up in, the, in a Christian caste. And most of you know the caste system in India, basically a stratosphere of stuff, right? And so there's literally the Christian caste. You're born Christian. And it's kind of a lower caste. But the crazy thing about it, and if you know anything about India, if you've watched any movies, like you have your high caste, and they do not associate with anyone from a lower caste. That's how, that's how the gods designed it to be in Hinduism, right? And so the crazy thing is, is they've invited their Brahmin, which are high caste, the highest caste Hindu. They've invited all their Brahmin friends, and they're coming. Now, none of them, unless their friends have shared it, have ever shared, have ever had the gospel, definitely have never had the gospel preached to them, right, or spoken to them, uh, but they're going to be hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the great thing is this, is, you know, we're, this is what we're doing. I'm not going to go preach to present the gospel so they'll quote-unquote get saved. I'm simply presenting the gospel of Jesus, and I'm handing their friends off back off to them and said, you disciple them into a relationship with Jesus, right? And hopefully by next year, you will never invite us to come back because you realize you don't need the Americans to come to preach. You'll do it yourself. That's my goal. My goal is to work it so you never need us again. So all we can come back to do is just pray for you behind closed doors while you're running your camp. How awesome would that be, right? And so that's what we're going to come do. I told Tammy that, and, and we're excited about that. Anyway, so we're going to go, and so I encourage you to begin praying for us. It's the 13th of us. We leave on April 8th. It's a Monday. We come back on the 22nd. There's a, I know a lot of you like to come alongside of these trips in real practical ways. So there's two things that you can do. Uh, number one, we actually have sign-ups of things we need to take with us. Now, it's a youth camp, so you'll be buying, buying things like water balloons, 
water guns, uh, rubber balls and stuff. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff you'll be buying, okay, like stuff like that. But it's one of those things that we would love to offer this offer the opportunity for you to go ahead and purchase some of those things, come alongside, support the team by doing that. Second thing is this. I have uh, committed to Tammy uh, that none of her kids have to pay a single dime to come to camp, okay? They put down like a deposit just to show that they were owner, owning this and they were actually going to come. All their deposit from India's side will actually go to pay for the buses to get down there to pay for the food on India's side. But I basically committed to Tammy that we, (laughs) and so I do this, we would pay for every single kid. It's $5,000. It's only $5,000, okay? And so next week, I have an opportunity for you to to give to that. If you want to just come up even later and give a checklist, none of that's going to us, okay, right? It's not like we're taking a 10% administrative fee or anything like that. Literally, 100% of that money goes, literally, I'm going to take a wad of cash, right? I shouldn't tell you that, right? We're going to take a wad of cash, and we're going to take it and say, here, Put in your safe, you know, whatever it may be. And so I encourage you to go ahead and partner in that way next week. We've got an opportunity for you to do that, and you can go ahead and begin preparing accordingly. What we'll do with this, I didn't say in the first service, if we have above and beyond that that you give next week, because that's just how we roll at Vintage, we always give above and beyond. If we do that like we normally do, we'll take that and we will, uh, we'll set it aside. We'll put, create another fund for missions, okay? It'll be like a, a mission fund, and it'll just kind of go into a missions fund for future. We've been talking about that for a while in our finance team and leadership team of creating that. So that'll be kind of just the, the seed money that we would get that if we go above and beyond what we need. Okay. You all cool with that? All right. Good job. All right. Hey, let's jump in this morning. So I was been thinking this week uh, in, in about history. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but for, um, for about a year, a little over a year and a half, about a year, a year and a half, I was a history major at Georgia. Okay. Now, you know how college rolls, you have like four or five or six majors during your life, lifetime. My second to last major was history and I loved history. I really did. And I, and, and I got out of history because of April June Sar. A lot of you know April. She sent up the prayer request email to everybody. We were, we were friends in college and one day she she came in and she just, I mean, she looked terrible, right? I mean, she was like, and I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I hate my history class, right? I hate my history major. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I have to do this big, massive project and it's so hard. I'm like, well, I'm a history major. She grabbed me. She's like, get out, right? And so I'm like, okay. So I got out of being a history major, but I loved history. I, I mean, I literally, I, so I got out one of those things. I was scared of working hard, I guess was, it was lazy. So anyway, but I got out and that shifted my major to advertising, but great decision. I loved it. But, um, but anyway, so anyway, I, but I loved history and I loved taking history classes and you know, it was one of those things that was when uh, I was there when everything was going on in Serbia. Remember the Serbian conflict? I were in Eastern Europe, and this is back in the, uh, when, when, I, when I was in college, uh, yeah, mid-90s, thank you, Victor, and, and mid-90s, and, and so I was taking this class, and, and, and I took the study, uh, study of Eastern Europe, and I realized this conflict in Serbia that we were reading about literally in the news was thousands of years old. This conflict, it was just been going on for thousands of years. And there's all this diplomacy going on about how we can fix this, fix this. And we sat in our history class and realized this will never be fixed, right? Unless Jesus intervenes and wipes out a whole group of people, there's always going to be conflict in this, in this. And I, and I sat there and I realized it really is true in history that history always repeats itself and that history never dies. History is always alive in some degree, and there's all this stuff going on. So I just so and it, and it came alive even this, this uh, when I'm thinking about our history of America. And I think about the 1960s. You know, the greatest movement in 1960, 1960s was not the hippie movement. It was the civil rights movement. 
And this man, Martin Luther King Jr., who if you ever go read the history, he was not a perfect man and far from it. But something was something inside of him and those who were around him had this urgency. And I would even say calling to stand up for something that was wrong and needed to be right. And you see, and, you, and if you were to sit down now with African-American woman or man who were in their 60s and you were to, and were to talk to them about that time of history and you were to say, listen, what do you think about Martin Luther King? Something would come alive inside of them. They would tell a story about how someone and some people fought for them when they didn't have rights. And all of a sudden someone stood up and, and gave and now they have rights. And, and we can tell the story of how God ultimately made that happen. But but. Ultimately, this was part of their history. But, you know, for our kids, our day and age, all they know about Martin Luther King is they get a day off of school. They get a day off of school. That's about it. And when the racist parts of America, they sit there and make jokes about MLK and Martin Luther King Day and all sorts of stuff and say things that are unbelievably derogatory because there's a complete cluelessness to the actual movement of God in that movement. Because history for them was alive. It was real, it was breathing, and it was living. It was real people, real emotions, and a real time. And ultimately, I believe it was God who was working this whole thing because he hates oppression. But let's bring it back into our day and age. 9-11-2001. Randall and I have been married just a little over two weeks. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting at my desk in Omaha, Nebraska, and someone, Tom Fraley, some of you know, comes in and says, Steve, something's going on in New York. There's a bombing. That's what he told me. I said, uh, he's like, I said, what do I want to do something? He's like, you should probably go home. This is a really big deal. And he said at the time, this is going to shape America. I'm like, I'm going home. So I remember I, I drove home. I'm listening to the radio. I'm hearing all sorts of reports, and I just hear these things. I'm like, uh, I get home, go into the house, and there's Randall and our plumber watching TV, right? She's sitting, at the, she's sitting there at the table, and the plumber's over here leaning in. I'm like, hey. He's like, hey, I'm the plumber. Something's going on in New York, right? And we sat there, the plumber and Randall and I, having this, this watching TV, just watching everything, watching as America shifted. And all of a sudden, in my own heart, right, I'm a real person and I'm seeing real visuals of something overwhelming and horrendous that's never happened in my lifetime and in the shores of the country that I live in. And I'm just glued like every single one of you were in the day. You can tell me where you were, what was going on, and when you found out. You can tell me almost every emotion that you were feeling in the time, right? There was this, this, I mean, and you, whether you were Democrat or Republican in the moment, you loved George Bush in the moment. He's and that says, I can hear you. And you're like, yes, he can, right? There's this whole thing going on, and we're all moved in the moment. But do you know in 30 years, will this be a test question that kids will answer? And there'll be no emotion attached to it. There'll be no reality to it. It will just be something go, oh, I've got to learn this. 9-11, 2002, 2001, 2001. Oh, I keep on forgetting that. I'm going to fail this test. That's all that history is, isn't it? History becomes the things that we learn, that we regurgitate, and we forget. That's all that it is. 
And so this week I've been undone as I've been applying this reality. I'm, I've been watching Victor actually text Randall and I, I forget where I was, and he texted us and said, hey, he said, you watching the Bible on the History Channel. Right? This is texting, by the way. Right? I use my thumbs, right? I'm texting with both thumbs like this, okay? <laughs> you know, he's tech, he's, I don't know how Victor does it, but he's, I do like this. And so, anyway, he texts, he's watching this, and Randall texts back, and I'm somewhere else. He records it, I go home. So, the other night, I was, I, I was watching it, right? I was watching it, and, and, and it was one of those things, you know, TV movies are always bad. This was actually pretty good. If you've been watching, I encourage you to watch it. Not everything's accurate. A lot of it's probably wrong, but I mean, it's just still the story in and of itself, right? Whatever. But I'm watching it, and I'm, and I, and I'm, and all of a sudden, I'm sucked in. Like all of a sudden it becomes alive to me. I'm watching this. I'm watching Noah and I'm watching the tension on his face as he recognizes and realizes everyone's died except those who were in the boat. And I, and they, I remember that scene. If you watched it, they show him and they pull up from the boat into the boat, into the water. And they pull all the way out and you see that the entire earth is covered by water. And then they go to commercial. You're like, no, right? <laughs> I got to go to the bathroom, but I'm not going to go. I might, might miss something, right? And it comes back on, and I, and I watch Abraham. And I watch Abraham in the moment, and in this like moment that he has with God, and I'm so thankful that he's so, do some cheesy voice of God to Abraham. Abraham, right? No, literally you just hear him, like, like it would be if you were literally watching it from the outside of him, having this like, this thing going on with face contorting, and you're like, what's going on? But he's having this dynamic relationship and interaction with God, and I'm, and I'm watching, and I'm seeing his emotion, and I'm undone thinking, is he talking to God, and how powerful is that? And all of a sudden he looks at his wife and goes, we need to leave here. And everything, and go to some land that God will show us. And, and I watch her, and she's like, oh, no, <laughs> right? I call it the oh, crap moment, right? Like, oh, right? This is that moment right there in the moment. And, and, and she has this great moment that most wives do. Of like, I love my husband. I'll follow him. But, Lord, are you sure, <laughs> right? This is one of those moments, you know. And, and there's this whole thing. And all of a sudden, they leave, and they go, and they have the whole thing with Lot. But now I watch the scene with, with Ishmael and Hagar. And you realize in the moment that Ishmael is Abram's son. And he has, and he asks them to, and he forces Hagar and Ishmael to leave. And also now I realize this is a father having his child leave. And praise God, Ishmael, Isaac has been born and this is great and all. And then all of a sudden he makes Ishmael leave and then God comes. And then you remember that scene in the moment, all of a sudden, it's all stories that I know. Okay, I'm telling you, it came alive in the moment. History came alive. I'm sitting here watching as, as Abraham takes Isaac, and all of a sudden you see him. He's just looking at this. He's white faced, and he's just gut wrenched. Why? Because God just said, Go sacrifice your son. And I'm sitting next to Sarah, and Anna Catherine's sitting over here in the chair, and Randall has just come and sat down, right? And I'm watching it, and Sarah doesn't know, I mean, she doesn't know I watched, but I'm sitting there, and I'm watching as, as Abraham is taking Isaac, right, in this bundle, and they begin to get up there, and you see this, the, the tears and the anguish in Abraham's eyes, right? You see the tears, and you see the, in his eyes, and the anguish in his face, and Isaac's just in completely innocent going, where's the lamb, Father? Where's the lamb, Father? You know, it's like, and I'm sitting there just inside going, it's not one yet. There's not one yet. There's one coming, but it's not there yet, right? And I'm sitting there, and I just watch as he then ties them onto the altar. And Isaac is just going, Father, why? What would I do? Like, what did I do wrong? What are you doing? What's going on, right? And I'm sitting there, and Sarah's next to me, and I'm just, tears coming in my eyes. And Sarah's looking at me like this. Remember that Sarah looking at me like, why is Daddy crying? Why is he crying, right? I'm having this moment. I'm like, there's just tears in my eyes. Why? Because real people with real stories with real emotions with a real history that is still
still living today came alive in my heart by watching some cheesy TV movie. And I'm undone. And then there's that scene that's like the, even like, like the double whammy, they say, is when all of a sudden you see that Sarah come running over the wife, knowing something's going on. And she's like, no, no, right? And I, then all of a sudden you see Abraham come to the, the, the cliff, right? And you know what's going on, but you're still with her in the moment. And she sees Abraham, and she just falls on her face. And I'm like, but he's there, but he's there. Watch, 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 right? And then Isaac comes, and she's like, oh. And then at that moment of like, oh, my exhilaration, right? Ah, is this moment. And the Bible, Scripture, came alive. Because then it hit me this week. It's like, that's the nature of Scripture, that when we read it, so often it's just history. It's just a story. It's not real to us. There's no, there are no emotions attached to it. It's just something that we read. But it's real people with real emotions and real opposition and real tension facing reality of life. And, all, and, and because their story is, have been redemptive throughout the, 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 the ages, right, that God has written it down for us, it's been passed down from generation first verbally, and then, then it was passed down just in a written form, right? It's been passed down to us that it's still living. And so then when I think about Scripture and I think about reading, we've been reading in Ephesians for the last several weeks, I, I, I've wondered for us. Is it something that's living? Do we really believe when this scripture is living and breathing as active and sharp with a double-edged sword? Do we actually live in that conviction? Do we read, when I read to you from Ephesians, do you go, oh, and we just kind of put it right here in the file cabinet of sermons? Or do we allow the reality and the real story and the real emotion to, to come alive for us and what we've been reading in Scripture? When you sit down to, to read it, is it a living book to you, right? Is it, is it living and is it active? It's like the picture I have for the first sort of terrible analogy, but I think you get the point. It's like, a, it's like you see in those movies, it has like an alien living inside of your body. It's like, yeah, right? It's a terrible analogy, but that's what Scripture is. It's like, it's living and it's active. It's so active that it hurts sometimes. It's so active that it's, that it's stirring. It's stirring and it's moving. But we treat it like history. We read it. We regurgitate it in Sunday mornings or when we're around people. And then we forget it every day during our life. And so we've been reading in Ephesians, and we've been reading this, I would say, incredible, incredible message of grace, right? This true grace, this true grace that God pours out into the, into the life of, of those who are totally depraved in sin, right? Completely separated from him, the grace he pours out, loving those who, who, can, who, who, who like loving us first in the middle of our sin, right? And we talked last week, we just had this, we told a story just uh, uh, last week of... Uh, hold on a second. I've got to open this up. Uh, let's turn it there. Ephesians 2 later. Anyway, this whole idea, right, of Paul he, he living in expectation, living in expectation of God pouring himself out into the followers of Jesus, right? Live in this place of expectation and of anticipation of God pouring out sustaining grace every day of their life. Remember, grace, God's kindness, God's blessing for those who've done nothing to deserve it. Remember 
Remember? So last we looked at Paul, Paul said, listen, remember when you were dead in sin and trespasses. And in that, out of God's love, he poured himself out to you. Right. And he made a way for you. He said, listen, remember, God, you did, did nothing to deserve God pouring himself out. But God did it. And so if he if that's the if that's the story that when you didn't deserve it, he poured himself out, then how and, and you, because you needed him. Right. You had a desperate need. You couldn't do it. You couldn't save yourself. Listen, if you don't know Jesus today, I want to go ahead and let you into a secret. You cannot go to heaven apart from the work of Jesus. No one can save themselves. You can't be good enough. And so the message was when you weren't good enough and could not be good enough. Jesus came and died and prepared a way. He wooed you to himself and saved you. And so if that's your testimony, then the point is, then your testimony is today, then you can't empower yourself to live out your Christian life today apart from God giving you his ability. So that's why Paul prayed. He said, I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him fully. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you can know the hope of your calling, the inheritance that you have as saints, and that you may know the power that resides in you. What kind of power was that? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But remember, you were dead in your trespasses and God poured out grace to you, right? So you can't produce any of these things I just named in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't have wisdom. You can't have revelation apart from God giving it to you. Your heart can't be enlightened to know your hope of your calling apart from grace. You can Jesus pouring himself out. His kindness poured out, right? You can't know your inheritance and live in the reality of your inheritance as sons and daughters of God unless God reveals it to you by grace. You can't know the power and flesh out the power of God in your own strength. And by the way, if we put it in today's language, I don't care how many self-help books you read. You can't get to the place you want to be apart from grace, apart from Jesus coming and overwhelming you in your life, coming in the revelation. Revelation is the interrupting presence of Jesus. What God? Revelation, right? A revealing it, opening our hearts. And Paul is coming and sharing this, and he comes down in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. If your Bibles, you can turn there. Please start bringing your Bibles, right? We want to read it. We want to live it. We want to breathe it. So the Bible app, that's fine, but please have your own Bible. And it says this, consequently, verse 19 of chapter 2, consequently, he's speaking to Gentiles, non-Jews. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. But, oh, what an incredible word there, but, but you, excuse me, but, or is that, it's lost myself, but fellow citizens, you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, right? You're now fellow citizens, you're citizens, members, right? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Jesus, the whole, in him, the whole, in, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What is he saying here? He's saying, Gentiles, remember, remember when there was the house of God and you lived outside of it? They're like, yes. 
Remember when you weren't connected to the apostles? Remember when you weren't connected to the prophets? Remember when you were not connected to Jesus? Yes. And you saw what Jesus did. He grafted you into the vine. He made you one. He came into this work. I'm an apostle. I'm a spiritual father. I'm preaching the gospel, right? I'm coming to you and bringing you the good news of Jesus. And I celebrate, right? This is a, this is a text of celebration. Remember when, but you are now fellow citizens. You are now family with God's people. And they're like, yes, right? They're like, right, blowing the little things that's going out. They had the hats on, the whistles. It's a great moment of celebration, right? They're looking at the work of God in their life, and they're celebrating that God moved on their behalf. Kindness poured out that they could not deserve. We call it grace. Blessing poured out. And they're undone. Moment of celebration. He's telling the story. And then he comes, says, verse 1 of chapter 3, and says, For this reason. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then there's the line. You can't miss the line. The line's really important here, okay? He goes, for this reason, it's God's moving Gentiles' life, right? As we talk, but we just named. He's celebration. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. And then he does, then he goes old, then he goes old man. He goes, old man, he digresses. You know, an old man tells a story, they digress. Well, yesterday I went down to the store, but on the way down, I saw Timmy John. We stopped over there. We talked about fishing for a while. You know what I'm talking about? They kind of digress for a long time. And they go, now, where was I? Oh, they had the store. They come back to the store. So the next 12 verses of Ephesians 3 is digression. He goes in, starts talking about his apostolic calling and the work that he's done in their life and how God's raised him up, all that kind of stuff, right? So there's digression. There's chapter, there's verse 1. And all the way down, old man stops. Verse 14 says, all right, we come back to the, we come back for the reason. Because it says verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. Now, I'm not going to cover the other part today. I encourage you to do that yourself. But he comes back to his point. It says, for this reason, for what I just named, for the work of God and the Gentiles, grace poured out his kindness when you could not produce it yourself. Hear that again. Well, I'm going to celebrate God's kindness given when you could not produce it yourself. As hard as you tried, as hard as you worked for God, with the ball of expectations that you placed on your shoulders, right, that you could never fulfill, that every pastor told you for the last five years to be a good Christian, you got to do these things. That ball of weight, I'm releasing you saying, it's not you working, it's God's grace. That's what I'm celebrating. God did the work. And for this reason, I bow my knee. We all understand this language. You only bow your knee to someone who deserves it, who you respect, who you're honoring, right? Who you're recognizing. And Paul comes and he, he, and you only kneel down before God. Why? Because in kneeling down before God, it's the recognition that even though I am great in their eyes, I am still only a servant at best. And I am here kneeling saying, I simply got to assist You scored every point. The best we can do in life is come along and assist. But even let's be honest, we don't ever really need to assist God. It's only a letting us. But the best we can do is come in with an assist, say, I'm working alongside, I'm co-laboring, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm co-laboring with God, and all I'm going to do is come and just kind of work with him and what he's doing. But ultimately, it's the work of God. I bow down. I recognize that I worship him. I humble myself. 
And then he continues with more expectation or what he anticipates God to do in the life of these Gentiles that he's just celebrated their life. He comes in and in verse 16, verse 16, let's continue on here. We're going to read through all this. Verse starting in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the father from whom this whole family in heaven, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth thrive his name. I pray. Here we go again. Remember, he's beseeching. It's a great word. So he's asking. He's coming to the Lord and beseeching the Lord, asking God because he recognizes he needs God for this. He comes as I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, oh, this is beautiful right here, past tense being rooted and established already in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is love of Christ. And, and what a great word too, and on top of that, cherry on top to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now listen, don't forget real people, real time, right? It's never, this is never, never ending. This is, this is living word today. So what we're getting at, this is not a history story for you to learn so you can regurgitate it to your mom or your dad or your kids when you get home. This is living, breathing Paul coming. He's writing this in chains and says, I'm in chains for Christ, for your glory, right? He's coming and preaching this in chains saying, I'm doing this for you. I celebrate, even though I'm in, I'm opposed by, by the world. I live for an audience of one Jesus and I'm in chains and life is miserable over here, honestly, but I celebrate your life. I celebrate God's grace being poured out. Celebrate Jesus. And he comes in and he says, and this is what I'm praying. I'm praying number one, verse 16, that you would be strengthened be strengthened from God in your inner man. Strengthened by God in your inner man. How are we strengthened? Because it says Jesus comes and lives in our heart. He comes and takes residence in our heart. And so he prays the strengthening. What that really means, how, I'm, how, I've, how, I just, how I've received this and how I'm interpreting this is he's coming and saying, in your inner man, there are, there's these, there's a birthing that takes place so often of fear and anxiety and worry and anger and all these things. Have you ever been living your life and you're sitting there in the moment and all of a sudden it's like something happens and all of a sudden you're like, and you don't know what's going on. It's like something from the inside overtook you. You're like, I should be strong enough to withstand this quote unquote attack from the enemy. But I, oh, where'd this come from? You're like, well, I can't, uh, I'm like blind now. I was like, I was so great with Jesus here, but now I'm terrible. What's going on? He's like, I pray for a strong strengthening your inner man how that you would live in the knowledge that every day jesus lives in your heart already and you can be awakened it can be revealed to you strengthened in your inner man right this is as you continue to grow in your knowledge of christ and to grow in your relationship with him you grow in your confidence you grow in your trust you grow in your hope of your faith of who he is right it's like all everything that already belongs to you fleshing itself out And I'm praying to be strengthened in your inner man. And living in this place that God, listen, how many of us have read self-help books about that? And there's nothing wrong with those books necessarily, but so often those books put all the onus on you. 
to be strong enough to handle what life throws at you. And yes, there are moments that I have to, I need to pull up my bootstraps and continue to walk. But here's the deal in this. This idea is strengthening from the God in the inner man is that so often we work for God like the elder, like the elder son and never realize we're only supposed to work with God. There's a, there's a, there's a, you need to all hear that. There's a huge difference. So many of us, like the elder, listen, do you know the elder son had the greatest sin in the prodigal son's story, right? He was lukewarm and the, the prodigal was either hot at the end or really cold in the beginning. And ultimately that was better than being lukewarm like the poor elder son. The elder son is working for the father, but does not know him. And so, so many of us in this place, right, we want strengthening from God, the inner man, we want all this stuff. But the idea is that so often we try to do it in our own strength as if we're working, we're making it happen, we're working for God rather than working with him. And so he goes on in verse 17, so I also pray, now you're already rooted and grounded in love, but I want you now to be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love. Past tense. We've already, when we gave our lives to Jesus, right, when, when, when he saved us in the moment, right, all of a sudden in that moment, he took, he took the total depravity, the sin of our lives, he just moved it here, and he filled us with his Holy Spirit, and we were rooted, and we were established in the depth of his love. And he's saying, but I recognize as human beings, you live every day not comprehending that. And so I'm praying that you would be able to comprehend by God's grace. You can't do it in your own strength, but if you, if you just allow the Holy Spirit to move, he'll awaken you to, to comprehend the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of his love. We work so hard. And Jesus says, well, what, remember, he looked at the elder son and said, everything I already, everything I have, already belongs to you <laughs> it already belonged it already possessed it it was already in his possession and he could never connect he's working so hard for him and not working with him third thing we see he praying and anticipating expecting god to do in the moment was to be filled up to the fullness of god's love for us that is beyond knowledge. I love that, right? So he prays over here in verse 17, we'd comprehend. Then verse 19 says, well, actually, it's beyond your knowledge. And what he's getting at is saying, I want you to be filled to what you can understand, right? That God would fill you every day with continual understanding. Listen, listen, in my life, I've had moments where God all of a sudden has like revelation opened in my eyes and I understood my frailty. I understood my fallenness. I understood how small I was. Literally, I mean, talking like in life situations, in life moments, in these great tensions of life, I, my, my weakness is exposed. And in those moments, I'm forced to turn to God. And then I'm forced, you know what I mean? It's like I, I'm, I'm compelled to turn to God. I look to him and I realize, oh God, thank you for suffering. Thank you for opposition because it, it turned me back to you. And, re- and I realized, God, that I had a level of knowledge, but God, and it's a knowledge I can, uh, of your love I can never fully comprehend. But Lord, every day you can grow me in that knowledge. Every day I can comprehend more more and more and more and more. And Paul's praying, saying, you cannot produce it in your own strength. That's why I'm forced to pray for it. That's the point. That's grace. The greatest thing we can do sometimes to get to God is say, God, I can't. And he says, thank you that you finally realized it. Now let me. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed when opposition or frustration or tension comes in life. It's God's greatest gift to us because it makes us take eyes off of self 
and actually see him. So these churches that teach God never wants you to suffer. God never wants you to anything bad to happen in your life. Well, God uses all of those things and allows us to go through them for his glory's sake. Why do they have to happen? Well, that's a great question. But I know when they do, we embrace them. We thank God for them. We ask for grace to get through it. We embrace the part of waiting that is connected to patience. We are terrible at patience, but that's part of biblical hope. Expecting an anticipation that God will move in time. Today is St. Patrick's Day. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and St. Patrick, Patrick was actually never a saint, if you didn't know that. He's never a saint. They just call him that in Ireland. Uh, he doesn't, he didn't ever wear green, right? He did not believe in leprechauns, okay? He, um, he was a guy who, when he was 16, uh, he was taken captive by a bunch of uh, crazy, just rogue Irishmen. They called them Scots. I don't really know why. There's some reason historically I should know that. I was a history major, wasn't I? But I don't know that. Anyway, they were these Irishmen who came down, came up a river, went into his house, took them, took them back down the river, took them back over to, Highland, to Ireland. And for six years, he was in forced slavery as a swine herder. And in that process of time, he grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a, was a priest slash deacon in the church. And, but he never, was never personal to him. But in the midst of his opposition, in the midst of his slavery, when he had nowhere else to turn, he, he connected with Jesus, found him, and he gave his life to Jesus. Right? Jesus wooed him to himself there and turned everything over. Right? And so finds one along the way, praying, said, God, grant me freedom. And so Patrick, one night, had this open door somehow, and he went, found a, found a ship, jumped on the ship, made his way back to Great Britain, made his way back home, and everything was like, yay, there's Patrick, woohoo, right? We celebrate his life. And then one night, he had a dream. And in his dream, these, the babies of Ireland called out to him and said, come and preach Jesus to us. He woke up, obviously knew it was the Lord, and said, I have to do that, but I have to get trained. So he got some training. He got supposedly, supposedly in history, a blessing from the Pope, left and went back to the very land who had held him in captivity and slavery for over six years. Going back to the crazy Celts, these pagan Celts. These who are incorrigible, who, who the, the Vatican or the Pope said that there's no hope for them. There's no Vatican yet, but there's, there's no hope for them, right? They are, they are unsavable. They are just these, oh, we don't, we don't, I don't, we, these aren't the people we can go to, right? And Patrick goes, a couple of guys have gone before him, but Patrick comes in and he begins to preach the gospel. He does it just kind of town by town. He goes into a town, he opens up a hotel slash school, people stay, he leads them to Christ, they never leave, right? And then they stay and they stay until he's discipled into a place of health, and then he leaves them, goes to the next town, that duplicates it, keeps on going. And over time, he started, he, he raised up 1,000 pastors and over 700 churches. And he was, he is now known as the Christian, the one who brought, ultimately brought Christianity to the island of Ireland and saved the, the island. Now, here's a guy, Patrick, who when you read his story, there are great miracles that followed him everywhere he went. Here's a guy who in slavery, he leaves, listen, 
How many of you know it would not be easy to go back to a place that held you captive and in slavery for over six years? How many of you know this was a sacrifice? How many of you know it required the grace of Jesus to empower him to go? How many of you know he had to conquer fear? He was a real person, real emotions, real history to bring about the ultimate life change that's impacting Ireland today. We don't listen. People drink green beer today and wear green shirts and all that kind of crap. And that's fine if you want to go do that. But ultimately, it's about a man who was held in slavery, who was released, who was miraculously called back and then lived a miraculous life and brought Jesus to an island. And all of a sudden now Jesus is present. Let me tell you something. It takes someone who lives understanding God's grace because we recognize he couldn't do it in his own strength. He needed the power of God. He lived in need and in desperation of God. And listen, the movement of God in a person's life can be directly related to their dependence and need on God. It's like a quote up here. Put it up, Hayden. The movement of God in a person's life can be directly related to their dependence and need for God. Listen, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. Those who live in a humble state of service, recognizing who God is, recognizing their place in life, a place of humility. God pours out grace. God pours out miracles. God pours out an enlightening of hearts, right? And their hope of their calling and the inheritance they have. And the power that belongs to them. He brings wisdom and revelation to know God fully and all of these things, right? He releases all of a sudden this full knowledge of the height and the breadth and the depth and the, and the, high, uh, the, the whatever of God's love, all the fullness of God in the moment. He recognizes it. All those who live in this place of humility who recognize one. I don't have to give 10% to God anymore. I'm called to give 100% of who I am. And he's living in this place, Patrick, Paul, living in this place, real people, real emotions, real opposition, real struggles, a living, breathing, active message. It's alive for us today. If you couldn't save yourself and needed God's grace, how much more then will you need God's grace to empower you to live every day of your life? Therefore, you must humble yourself, oppose your humble yourself in a sense, oppose your pride, your own abilities, your own making things happen. And you lean into Jesus. And if he said, I pray without ceasing day in and day out, Paul did. Therefore, it's because he recognizes every day. I humble myself. I serve God. I serve and love others. And I ask him to do these things that only he can do that I've tried so hard. My own strength to do can never make happen. This is the message of grace. That God saves every day. Every day. Every day there's this work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing it's not about you, it's about the fullness of God. And so what has to happen for us is we've got to stop complaining. We've got to stop thinking we're better than everybody else. We stop talking bad about people. Or we stop telling truths about people. We start listening to people. We start loving people. We start giving our life away to people and we start living every morning waking up saying Jesus I cannot today I'm desperate for you everything in us pushes back against this 
But everything in us longs for it in our spirit, man, because it causes us to actually be alive and allow God to pour out grace in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you that that the story of Martin Luther King, real story, real time, a real call of God. Patrick, a real man, real time, real history. It's living and breathing, still active today. It's why we celebrate him. We've corrupted it, but we still celebrate him. And we praise you, Jesus, that you came and you lived, that you died, you sacrificed. We praise you that you called Paul to assist you in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles so that we could sit here and not be outside of the family. Real people, real time. Real emotions. It's living. The story is living in us today. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us. I pray, Jesus, you would help us. That you would come with the spirit of wisdom revelation. That, God, we would understand, God, how we live out life. God, how we, how we just reveal to us, God, what it looks like for us to keep in step with you. Well, we pray this in your name. Amen.